This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Hi, my name is Dr. Lou Diaz, pastor of Butte Bible Fellowship located at 2255 Pillsbury Road in Chico. And I'm providing inspirational teaching for you from God's Word each week. Listen to my weekly radio program, Encouraging Words with Dr. Lou Diaz, at 10 a.m. on Saturday or 10 a.m. on Sunday. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Today's message is entitled, The Day That Jesus Stood at the Right Hand of God. Now the Apostles' Creed talks about Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. And there are many scriptures that talk about how he has been exalted to the highest place, seated at the right hand of God. What does it mean that Jesus stood at the right hand of God? We're going to find that out in a moment. But before we do, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Stephen. We thank you for his testimony. We thank you for his witness. We thank you for his faith even unto death. May we believe in you no matter what. May we hang on to you. And no matter how rough the storm gets, may we realize that you are the anchor that holds, that you are the anchor of our soul that keeps us from all destruction and loss. So thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we come to uh, Acts 7, and the question of this chapter, really, Acts 6 and 7 are dovetailed together, is this. How is Stephen our example? And I'm going to propose to you uh, these things about Stephen. Number one, he was full of God, yet empty of ego. Number two, Stephen was opposed, yet triumphant. Number three, Stephen was falsely accused, yet innocent. Number four, Stephen was biblically literate, yet passionate. And number five, Stephen was rejected, yet accepted by Jesus. We're going to look at each of these as they come up in Acts 6 and 7. First of all, Stephen is an example to us in that he was full of God, yet empty of ego. It says in Acts chapter 6, verses 5 and 8, these things. It says, Stephen was a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. You may remember that the apostles asked the church to select among themselves seven men who would wait on tables, who would make sure that the distribution to the Hellenistic widows was equal to and fair as much as it was to the Hebraic Jewish widows. And they picked seven men. And of the seven men, who were all Hellenistic Jews, except for one who was a convert to Judaism, Stephen was among them. 
And it says that Stephen was full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. What an example for you and for me. What does it mean to be full of faith and of the Holy Spirit? Faith is you trusting in the Lord and you taking God at his word. Faith is God said it, I believe it, that settles it. The future is as bright as the promises of God. Do you believe in the promises of God? Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. So as we are in the word, as we are listening to God, as we are trusting him, as we're hanging on to him for dear life, trusting in him with all of our heart, acknowledging him in all our ways, he makes straight our paths. Being full of the Holy Spirit means that we are allowing the Holy Spirit to have full sway in our lives. We are allowing the Holy Spirit to be in control of us. We are allowing the Holy Spirit to express the life of Christ through the filter of our unique personality. That's what it means to be full of the Holy Spirit. The moment you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in you. He makes you spiritually alive because before you were spiritually dead. You're born from above. You're born again by the Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit may be inside you to empower you to live for Christ and to allow the life of Christ to be expressed through you, but are you cooperating with the Holy Spirit? Or are you resisting him? Are you grieving him? Are you quenching him? He's a gentleman. And if you say no go, he backs off. And so we are to be full of the Holy Spirit. Say yes, Lord, by your power, by your wisdom, by your grace, work in me and through me to your glory. Now notice that Stephen was full of God's grace. God's grace is his unmerited favor. Stephen was a kind, gentle, gracious man. He was full of God's grace. He cared for people, and he showed them love and mercy. He was full of God's grace. And power. He not only showed kindness and love, but he had spiritual power such that he performed great wonders and signs among the people. Now you need to know, people are thinking, is this Christianity, this, these followers of the way, really legitimate? And Jews needed a sign. And the sign that they received was that people were being healed and people had demons cast out of them, exercised, exorcised from them. And Stephen was part of that. Signs and wonders were being done by Stephen as proof positive that Jesus is the Messiah. He was full of grace and power. And you know what? We need to believe God. We need to trust God. We need to pray for those who are sick in Jesus' name. We need to pray for those who are being oppressed uh, by demonic influences in Jesus' name. We need to pray and the reason we don't see signs and wonders is because we don't believe God for signs and wonders. God is not limited. He's not in a box. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Will you allow 
yourself to be full of His grace and power. So in these ways, Stephen is an example to you and to me. The second way he's an example to you and me is that he was opposed yet triumphant. It says in Acts chapter 6, verse 10, they began to argue with Stephen. The members of the synagogue of the freemen, perhaps they used to be um, slaves, but now they're free, formed a synagogue. And they were arguing with Stephen that Jesus can't be the Messiah. And yet Stephen would answer their objections. Why? It says, and they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Have you ever been asked a question by a non-Christian and you have no idea what the answer is and yet you open your mouth and the Holy Spirit gives you an answer? I have. I remember working at a hospital and we were on break and I was a new Christian and I was asked a question that was far above my limited knowledge as a new Christian. And I had no idea how to answer that question. But the moment I opened my mouth, the Lord filled my mouth with wisdom and gave me an answer for that person. Jesus says one day we may appear before kings and have to respond in giving a reason for the hope that is in us. And don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will give you the answer when you need it. The Holy Spirit does give us words to speak. Words to share a testimony for him. And he gave words to Stephen. So that they realized he was a powerful witness. They realized that his testimony was strong and they couldn't refute him. So you know what they did? They sought to destroy him. It says in Acts chapter 6, verses 11 and 13 through 15, then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. Those are very, very serious charges that the members of the synagogue of the freemen set up for false witnesses to lay against Stephen. Those false charges dealt with everything that was precious and that was primary to the faith of Judaism. They said Stephen spoke blasphemous words. You never are to speak words against God and the holy things of God. Stephen spoke against Moses, they said. He spoke against God, they said. He spoke against the temple. And the temple, even though it was not Solomon's temple, it was Herod's temple during that day, was still the center of worship for Jewish people. It was the place where God lived in their minds. And they said that Stephen spoke against the law, the Torah. 
And if that wasn't enough, he spoke against the customs of Moses. And he quoted Jesus that Jesus would tear down the temple. Now you remember that Jesus taught, I will tear this down and raise it up in three days. Was he referring to the temple of Herod, the sacred place of the Jews? No. He is referring to his body, that he would die on the cross and shed his blood for the forgiveness of humans. And on the third day, he would rise up. But he was misinterpreted. They thought he meant he was going to tear down the temple of Herod and even to touch a stone of the temple of Herod was blasphemous, was sacrilegious. So they used those charges against Jesus, and eventually he was crucified. And now they're using the same charges against Stephen. And we're going to find out he's going to be stoned to death. A terrible way of execution. But when they heard all these charges stacked against Stephen, they're at the Sanhedrin, the ruling party, the rulers of Israel. They all looked at Stephen as if wondering what in the world is he going to say? What possible defense can he have from this horrible set of accusations and allegations? But when they looked at him, they saw that he had the face that was like the face of an angel. Now what does an angel's face look like? It wasn't that his face was cute and pudgy. It wasn't that it was effeminate and uh, neither male nor female looking. When an angel is in the presence of God, or anyone is in the presence of God, they glow. His face was a glow. His face was bright. His countenance was shining as with the Shekinah glory of God. He was falsely accused, yet he was innocent. That's important for us to realize that when we walk through this world, there's going to be times when we are going to be misinterpreted, when we're going to be misunderstood, when we are going to be falsely accused, and yet we're innocent. And the Bible says in 1 Peter, that we are to walk in the Lord's steps, who though he was falsely accused, did not open his mouth. He did not retaliate. We are to walk in his steps. Because God is the only righteous judge. He knows what's going on. And so you may have been mistreated, you may have been misrepresented, you may have been falsely accused. God knows who you are and what you're about. And then we find this example of Stephen. He was biblically literate, yet passionate. When he opens his mouth, it's not really a defense defending himself to get himself off the hook. He gives an apology that is a defense for the faith, for why you can still be a Christian and Jewish. That the Jewish faith birthed Christianity and Christianity has its roots in the Jewish faith. And he proves that going all the way back to Father Abraham. Notice how many times in Acts chapter 7 where he mentions our ancestors. 
he's identifying because he is Jewish. And he says it's possible to be a completed Jew, a messianic Jew. And as he gives the history of Israel, going all the way back to Abraham, he's not telling the Sanhedrin anything new. They know the history of Israel. They knew the Bible and the promises of God to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to David, and to Moses. They knew all about that. They knew about Joseph and his brothers. But what Stephen did was he emphasized certain things that they missed, certain things that they didn't quite understand in the economy of God. I'm going to summarize those things. What they didn't understand was, number one, God does not need a temple. He does not need a building in which to live. You see, the people of Stephen's day were worshiping the temple of God rather than the God of the temple. And he, that is Stephen, said, you rejected Moses like your ancestors, and your ancestors had golden calves made to worship instead of God, made by their own hands. What Stephen is saying is, you have long left the one and true God of Judaism, and you have worshipped the temple as if that is God, as if the building represents God. And so here I am standing before you on the accusation that I was going to destroy the temple, like Jesus was misinterpreted as saying he was going to destroy the temple. The faith is not about a building. It's about the living God. Before there was a temple, before there was a promised land, God called Abraham. And Abraham accepted his promises even when they didn't come to be right away by faith. It's by faith that we're saved, not by works, not by religion, not by religious trappings. It's not because you go to a church building that you're saved or you're a Christian. It's that you are the temple of the living God and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. That's the emphasis. It's a personal relationship with God, not a ritualistic set of rules that you've got to follow. And when someone breaks the slightest rule, you want to kill them. The second emphasis in Stephen's message was this, that God has raised up people, and one after another, God's people has, have rejected them. God raised up Moses to be a deliverer of his people from bondage in Egypt. And one day he came from the palace, and he saw a Hebrew slave being mistreated by an Egyptian taskmaster. And he tussled with that Egyptian taskmaster and killed that taskmaster and buried him under the sand, thinking nobody knew about it. And also thinking that people would recognize that God's going to deliver them through him. The next day, two Hebrews were fighting, and Moses said, hey, you're brothers, why are you fighting? And one of them said to him, what are you going to do to me? Kill me like that Egyptian you killed yesterday? Who made you 
ruler and judge over us. This is very symbolic because just as Moses was rejected with spite, who made you ruler and judge over us? So Jesus was being rejected as ruler and judge over Israel. The story about Joseph is not there by mistake. He was rejected by the patriarchs, by his brothers. And yet it was him that God chose to deliver Israel from starving to death. Because Joseph in Egypt became assistant prime minister and provided stores of food during a time of famine that saved Egypt and saved Israel. So that they were preserved. And the third example is that of Moses. Moses was rejected not only because of uh, him trying to deliver the uh, Hebrews from the Egyptian taskmaster, but also it says they rejected him because they built a golden calf. He had said, there's going to be a prophet after me and you must listen to him. In the spirit, he was referring to Jesus. So Moses is twice rejected. Joseph is rejected. Moses is rejected. The prophet to come is no less than Jesus. And he is rejected. So Stephen's point by going through the history of Israel is to say, you have a history of rejecting the messiahs, the deliverers, the rescuers that God has ordained. God ordained, God raised up a Joseph, God raised up a Moses, God raised up a Jesus, and instead of you following your deliverer, your savior, your Messiah, you reject them, and you have a history of rejecting them. So that's where he turns from going through the Bible to passionately and evangelistically convicting them. He says in verses 51 to 53, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. They're closed, they're not open. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. They're referring specifically to them rejecting and murdering Jesus, the Messiah. The same priest who presided over the Sanhedrin with Stephen presided over the Sanhedrin when Jesus was crucified, Caiaphas. And so he's hearing this word, the Sanhedrin's hearing this word, and it's a word of conviction. You betrayed the Messiah. You murdered the Messiah. You who have received the law that was given through angels, but you who have not obeyed it have been in the habit of rejecting God's deliverers. And you rejected the deliverer, the Messiah, Jesus. Well, at this, they were furious. They were so mad. They were literally gnashing their teeth. Some people have a problem with grinding their teeth at night. And it may be because they're thinking resentful thoughts about somebody. 
they're angry with that person. And they're just grinding their teeth like, ugh, that person just really bothers me. Well, they were gnashing their teeth. They were so furious with Stephen that they grabbed him and dragged him out of the Sanhedrin and they dragged him out of Jerusalem in order to stone him. Stephen was rejected by men, but accepted by Jesus. Acts chapter 7, verses 55 and 56 But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing at the right, standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. The reason this message is entitled, The Day Jesus stood at the right hand of God is because when he ascended to heaven, it says he sat at the right hand of God. The right hand of God, God is spirit, and he doesn't have a body, a right hand and a left hand. It's a symbol. It's a symbol of honor. It's a place of power. He has power over all powers and authorities. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. And the significance of Jesus sitting down is that his work was accepted by God and it was finished. His payment on the cross to provide the forgiveness of your sins was accepted and complete. That's why he was able to sit because it is finished. It's completed. It is accepted. It is done. One sacrifice for all time for all who will believe in Him. If you believe in Jesus, your sins will be forgiven past, present, and future because the blood of Christ washes you from all sin. He has fulfilled all righteousness and He has paid for your sins in full. He sits at the right hand of God the Father. So why does it say when Stephen sees a glimpse of heaven, that Jesus is standing. I believe that Jesus is standing because he is respecting his servant Stephen. He's giving approval of Stephen's testimony even unto death. He is honoring, almost like saluting Stephen also The way Jewish people used to pray back in Jesus' day was by standing. When Jesus prayed, he didn't kneel and put his hands together, as is the American picture of prayer. When Jesus prayed, he stood and he extended his arms out. So Jesus ever lives to intercede for you and for me that we will finish and finish well. And he is praying for his precious one, Stephen. And Stephen, like Jesus, says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he falls on his knees as he's being stoned and he cries out, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. Does that sound familiar? When Jesus was having his wrist nailed to the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Stephen, in that same spirit, was more concerned for their eternal destiny than he was for his own life. And Jesus 
was applauding him. You know, we're not to live for the applause of men. We're to live for the applause of one person, Jesus. What matters is what Jesus thinks. And when Stephen stepped into his presence in that moment, Jesus said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. This is an example for all of us. The example of Stephen. We are to be full of God, yet empty of ego, willing to serve tables. We're we're going to be opposed, yet if we rely upon the Holy Spirit for the answers to give, we will be triumphant. We will be falsely accused, yet if we keep focusing on the Lord, our faces will shine with innocence. We are to be biblically literate, to know the Bible, and not just in our heads, but in our hearts, and be passionate, be evangelistic, and share the Word of God, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, and not be ashamed of it, but know that it's the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, first to the Jew and then also to the Greek. And we too will be rejected for our faith by men, but we will always be accepted and one day lovingly welcomed into heaven by Jesus. And that's what matters the most. Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521 to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith-building messages from God's Word.